This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Are you as excited about your kids being online on the internet as I am? I feel like I'm always playing catch up with the latest apps and sites that my kids have access to. All the good and all the bad is always there, but I'm not always there. That's why I want to tell you about Hero Parental Control. Hero is a high-tech tool that helps you stay ahead of the game. Activity from all of your family's devices can be filtered, monitored, and even tracked via GPS from one easy dashboard that you have. You can adjust all your filters. Material that might be healthy for a teen can be harmful to a young child. It works on all of your devices, including your mobile. It's easy to set up, intuitive to use, and it stays up to date with ever-changing technology. It's going to make the Internet in your house appropriate by your standards, not what society says. So enjoy the good and block the bad. Go to blazehero.com. That's blazehero.com. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. And, uh, and I welcome you, each and every one of you. Thank you for devoting, no, investing your time in the uh, in listening to this show uh, because i know each and every one of you happy warriors all with your secret dreams and your sacred ambitions and all of that heroically put aside while you dedicate yourself to doing day by day what you must do and doing it exactly when you must do it proud to have you listening to this show where each week i dedicate myself to making certain that I provide you with something that I found absolutely gripping, something that I found added to my understanding of how the world really works, and something which I thought and feel confident that you will too. Now, uh, I try as much as possible uh, to not tie the the show to any particular uh, current event or any piece of news because one of the points I want to make is that whatever I tell you, whatever I try and convey on the show is really only the result of my expertise in ancient Jewish wisdom. And that's pretty much the only area in which I possess any expertise. And uh, to the extent that I do know ancient Jewish wisdom, one of its key characteristics is that uh, it applies everywhere, every time. In other words, principles of ancient Jewish wisdom apply in the Kalahari Desert, just as they do in the, the verdant forests of Norway, and they apply in the busy streets of Manhattan, just as they do while hiking down the Grand Canyon. The principles of ancient Jewish wisdom apply everywhere and at any time. Uh, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, yesterday, tomorrow, next week, they have applied, they do apply, and they will apply. And so because of that, I try and avoid 
linking any particular show to any particular news item of the day to somehow suggest that what I'm telling you only applies to this particular newsworthy item. So for that reason, you'll notice that if you listen to one of the earlier shows, you know, on SoundCloud, if you look up Rabbi Daniel Lappin on SoundCloud, uh, you'll find all the shows with summaries posted and also on iTunes. And if you were to go back um, to early shows, with the exception of a few shows in which I um, early uh, linked my commitment or my support to Donald Trump, that was uh, early uh, 2016, and so obviously listening to those shows, you'd have a pretty good idea of when I prepared the show. But uh, that's only a few shows out of hundreds, and the reality is that you probably would not know when any particular show is is being taped or prepared, and that's how I want them. I, I like you to think of them as evergreen, and shows that are, are able to provide value in exchange for the time you invest um, at any particular point in history, whether it was uh, when I taped them a year ago or two years ago or maybe a year or, or two hence, they should be equally true. So uh, with, with that as a as sort of a background, I am going to tell you something about the family of former Vice President Joe Biden. Joe Biden was Vice President to, uh, to Barack Obama. And, uh, you know, and certainly it would appear uh, a nice enough guy, a charming fellow. You know, is it somebody I, I would want to have ruling over me as my, uh, as some kind of, uh, rep no, not particularly, but a nice enough guy. Uh, I've never, I've never met him personally, but uh, people I, uh, I know, I have friends in common who say, yep, very nice guy, no question about it. Um, went through a tragedy back in 1972. His wife was killed in a car accident uh, along with uh, a daughter. Two, his two sons were, I think, injured, but, uh, but made it through all right. And, and they were the ones who, a few years later, as they began to grow up a little bit, um, encouraged their father to remarry. And he did, and to all accounts, uh, a, a remarkable woman, uh, Jill Biden, he always refers to her as Dr. Jill Biden. Uh, I'm not sure what she's a doctor of, but it, it doesn't matter. Uh, but apparently, she's um, you know she's been a great wife, great mother, and and all all is wonderful. And what I'm about to tell you is not in any way. Uh, please do not hear any uh, chortling in my voice or or any glee or any concupiscent delight. Uh, because if you think you hear that it's wrong, you, you're definitely not hearing anything like this. I'm telling this purely factually, uh, not in any sense to, to – to, you know what? I'm, as you know, I, <laughs> I don't mind judging. Uh, the harshest judgment in the world I reserve for myself, uh, and, and I judge. I do. I think, I think we have to judge, and I think it's appropriate to judge. Uh, actions more than people, but, but on occasion probably people as well. However, in this case, I'm absolutely not judging. You know, um, weird things happen in life. Um, uh, we have our strengths, we have our weaknesses, and, uh, and all of us. You know, the Bible says don't trust in yourself to the day of your death. Um, I'm, I'm sure if you have any self-awareness, as, as I try and have, you probably say to yourself, you know, 
I, I just, I, I like to think that I'm not capable of, of certain things, but um, uh, can I absolutely guarantee that? Uh, no. Uh, can, I, can I guarantee that I will always be faithful to my wife? I really, really want to believe that, but um, given, uh, given the right set of circumstances, you know, would I have the strength? Well, the answer is that is why ancient Jewish wisdom says, don't try and assure yourself that you will always demonstrate a remarkable discipline and you will always withstand temptation, no matter how devastatingly tantalizing it flings itself at you. Uh, no, what you have to do is have the discipline to avoid getting into those circumstances to begin with. And that makes a very big difference. So can I commit that I will not uh, be secluded in privacy um, with somebody other than my wife, a woman other than my wife? I should be able to do that. should be able to do that. And that is how... Uh, we are expected to deal with these things, but um, but look, things things happen. You know, we we we, we understand, and and I just I explain that just by way of saying that uh, I really I don't want anybody to to react to this. Oh, you know, the, the you know terrible people or anything like I, that's not what this is about. So uh, I happen to be talking about them because it did just happen while I was preparing this uh, this show. It was on my mind. I was struck by it. Uh, I discussed it with a, a friend and, and former student of mine in California uh, with whom I've remained very close, and I decided to, to talk about it on the show. Okay. What's the story? The story is that, uh, that Joe Biden has uh, had two sons, right? and uh, he, he had the daughter, who I told you also passed away, but he had uh, two sons, has two, had two sons. Um, one of them was named uh, Bo Biden, and uh, he seems to have been an absolute star. I mean, he, he served in the military. He served in politics. Uh, I think he became an attorney general uh, of a state, and uh, he, um, you know, was by all accounts, and again, I never met him, but by all accounts uh, from people who have, pretty, pretty remarkable guy. Anyways, uh, sadly, uh, brain cancer passes away in May 2015. Okay. May 2015, he dies. In July, all, a lot of the stuff we, the stuff I'm now telling you comes out uh, only recently. Obviously, we didn't know it at the time. But July 2015, oh, I, I should mention, uh, Bo Biden was married to Hallie Biden. And, uh, the uh, the other son, um, Hunter Biden, whose real name was Robert Biden, and why that's important, I'll tell you in a moment, uh, was married to a woman called Kathleen. And um, I think Bo and Hallie, I think, had two kids, and they you know, two youngish kids. Well, whenever you have kids, they're young, sorry. Uh, and um, uh, Hunter Robert Biden and Kathleen had three daughters, and by now they're, they're some are adults, maybe all are. But at any rate, 
back in July, so uh, Bo, older brother Bo dies in May 2015. Uh, did I say, um, you know what, let me take back. I don't know that he's the older brother. Brother Bo dies in May of 2015. Um, two months later, in July of that year, uh, the surviving brother, Hunter's wife, Kathleen, tells him to get out of the house. She wants him out, and, um, and she, she, uh, she states at the time that his actions and behavior uh, are unacceptable to her and violate agreements the two of them made that he wouldn't do certain things. And so July uh, uh, 15, he leaves the, the family home, and um, we'll pick up with him in just a moment. However, what could have been those things he was doing? And, and again, um, uh, let me just once again just say I, I'm not taking any kind of um, impish delight in any of this uh, stuff happens. I, I'm not judging. Uh, I'm telling the story because of what I want to uh, teach in connection with it. So July, 5, July 2015, uh, two months after uh, his brother dies, he is asked by his wife to get out because he's violated aspects of the marriage that they made commitments to. What could that be? Well, in August 2015, and this you may remember as part of the, the sort of hacking stuff and all the release of it, turned out there was a big release of data of a website called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison is a website that advertises affairs, and you know it's 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 pretty it's pretty immoral stuff. It's you know life is short, have an affair is one of their big advertisements, and they have billboards in major cities. Uh, look, when I'm in charge, I'm not going to allow um, organizations promoting uh, adultery uh, to advertise on billboards. I'm just not going to allow it. That's when I'm in charge. Uh, but meanwhile, it is allowed, and. Uh, you know, and they, they have millions of members. One of the things I would be curious about, and I've just not, um, I'm just, I guess I'm just not that interested enough to actually research it. I'm sure the information is available. But um, I, I've got to think many, many, many more men than women uh, sign up. I'm sure many women did as well, but I should think the numbers were probably uh, way out. Uh, and again, this this corner of this this particular corner of the internet is populated, as everybody knows, far more by men than by women, although uh, with the, the cultural devastation going on, the number of women um, interested in pornography is definitely going up, shockingly, but it is in exactly the same way that the number of women in America that uh, are being um, uh, arrested for violence is going up. Once upon a time, uh, women didn't get involved in <laughs> fist fights or, or uh, shooting. You know, f there was sometimes, and and police and people in law enforcement always knew this. You know that uh, that if there was a, a husband uh, shot or poisoned, you know, suspect number one was the wife. That is true. But in general, in terms of street violence, didn't used to be women. Today, it is happening more and more. So obviously, we expect cultural deterioration. We expect cultural deterioration. Um, anyways, 
uh, back to Ashley Madison and uh, what could it be that made Kathleen drive Hunter out of the family home um, in July 2015? This gets uh, very interesting. And, uh, and again, I don't mean this to be titillating because we are going to be uh, going straight after this to the biblical source of all this information. And, and that's really why I'm doing this. I wanted you to see how ancient Jewish wisdom uh, ties together today's headlines with a majestic and mysterious volume that made its appearance over 3,300 years ago. Well, um, talking of that mysterious volume that made its appearance, um, I want to draw your attention to an audio program, a two-hour audio program with study guide um, called uh, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. And it's itself it's self-explanatory. Uh, it talks about um, basically the, the clash in the Middle East and as well its biblical roots. What do I mean by its, its biblical roots? Well, um, here's an interesting thing. In chapter 21 of Genesis, you might remember that uh, Abraham drives out his uh, uh, Arab or Sarah's Arab maidservant, um, Hagar, along with her son, Ishmael, who is regarded by the Arab world to be the father of Arabia. I'm not going to say father of Islam because Islam didn't show up until many, many centuries after Ishmael was dead. Uh, but he, he, So he was the father of the Arab peoples. Um, that the Arab peoples more recently adopted Islam uh, is, in my view, uh, tragic. But, uh, but going back to the, the biblical story, um, she doesn't see water, and she's sitting there with her son. She assumes her son is going to die of thirst, and um, she takes herself away. She puts him down, and she takes herself away so she doesn't have to watch her child die. And uh, how far away? And she says she took herself off the distance of a, the, how far an arrow shoots from a bow. Now, this is the only time in, in the Bible where distance is given, not in measurements, but in the, uh, the, the range of a weapon. This would be, an, and don't, folks, don't try this at home, but this would be like if I'm walking down one of the long concourses at O'Hare Airport or, at, uh, for that matter, at DFW or Dallas, uh, or for that matter, at EWR at Newark, uh, one of the long concourses, and somebody says to me, excuse me, do you happen to know how far is it um, to gate 72? And I say, yeah, sure. It's about as far as uh, a 38 special round will go when fired from a four-inch uh, four barrel detective special um, uh, revolver. A person would look at me, I mean, prob probably call the, the authorities, like guy talking about weapons in an airport. But isn't it just as strange for a mother to be talking about the range of a weapon when she's contemplating the, the death of her child? And the angel then comes. But, but if you think about it, isn't it true that uh, there is no people on earth that have a more intimate and comfortable uh, relationship with their, than their weapons than the Arab people, right? Right. Um, you know, a little while back, one of my daughters got married, and it was a very happy event. Let me tell you what we didn't do. 
uh, there was a lot of dancing and there was a lot of singing and there was a lot of uh, a lot of celebrating and may I say eating as well. Um, not a whole lot of drinking, I must say. We're not the we're not the biggest drinkers in the world, but uh, we made up for it in the eating department. Very happy wedding was lovely, and um, let me tell you what we did not do. What we did not do is uh, while we're standing in the courtyard and the the wedding uh, ceremony is about to take place, none of us fired off our um, Ruger Mini 14s into the air or our uh, AR-15s, none of us fired our rifles into the air. Now, for a couple of reasons. One reason is we didn't bring our rifles to the wedding. And number two, we kind of know that what goes up must come down. And what's more, uh, a round from a, um, uh, from a rifle goes pretty far up into the air if you fire it up before it comes to a stop high up in the air. And then it starts plunging back to Earth. Here's an interesting piece of news, and that is that it hits the Earth at almost the same speed with which it departed the barrel. My point is that if you fire a round up into the air at a crowded wedding, um, don't be surprised if the number of guests that leave is significantly smaller than the number of guests that arrived in the first place. And if you think I am merely speculating, I would just draw your attention to Arab weddings throughout uh, the Middle East and North Africa. This happens all the time. Yeah, people die at weddings. I mean, uh, am I laughing? Hilariously, I absolutely am. How stupid have you got to be? But wait a sec. If your love for weaponry is rooted in your national character, in your racial character in a sense, um, as it would appear to be from Genesis chapter 21, then, uh, then I shouldn't be surprised that at a wedding, which is almost the ultimate iconic celebration of almost every culture, that you should bring your weapons. And, uh, and again, we saw the same thing happen in November 74. It wasn't a wedding, but it was almost, uh, it was a big love affair between the United Nations and Yasser Arafat. You might remember the notorious Palestinian terrorist. Um, he's the only man in all of history who showed up, showed up to address the General Council of the United Nations um, with, <laughs> with his revolver in his holster on his hip. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, actually, you know, it wasn't a revolver. It was an automatic, as it happens. Can you believe it? Walked into the United Nations armed. And, and those pathetic, spineless, uh, completely... Um, uh, effeminate and without any remnant left of masculine courage, uh, members of the United Nations, they didn't have the guts to make him take that holster belt off himself and to, uh, he walked in and addressed the general council. They asked him to leave the weapon outside. He had one of his bodyguards keep the, the weapon, but he kept the holster very conspicuously uh, during his uh, presentation to this great organization dedicated to world peace. Um, my point is that uh, one of the things, or many of the things that are spoken about in, um, in uh, Clash of Destiny are things having uh, to do with these very stark realities of life in the Middle East today. And it's uh, called Clash of Destiny. Go to the website, youneedarabbi.com, or... Uh, I've discovered recently that sometimes that doesn't work as well as just putting in rabbidaniellappin.com. So go ahead, rabbidaniellappin.com, 
and look for, um, it might be uh, prominently displayed, depending when you're listening to this, or it might be, uh, you have to look for it in the store section, but uh, it's called Thou, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. And uh, while you're at the uh, while you're at the website, won't you go ahead and make sure you're also on our mailing lists, our email mailing lists? Um, that way, you will know uh, you'll get a reminder whenever a new podcast goes up, and uh, you will also get a preview of what it, what it's about. And you will also uh, hear from me, know when I am speaking or appearing in in your area. If you have anywhere near as much interest in meeting me as I have in meeting you. I am your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, back with you in just a moment. More to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. If you're in the market for a new mattress, casper.com slash rabbi should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress, and it's sold directly to you, eliminating the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a sleek, how-did-it-fit-in-there box. You just let it unfold, and there you have it, one of the most supportive sleep surfaces ever designed, hassle-free. Casper is made in America, and Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015, Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights free, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Right now, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rabbi. That's casper.com promo code rabbi. Terms and conditions apply. Casper.com slash rabbi. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Welcome back. I, yes, am your rabbi, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And uh, I am here for you and you. How I visualize you. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you and uh, I see you in front of me. I see you all as, as what I said earlier, happy warriors, uh, dedicated to life. Um, dedicated to helping save civilization from plunging into a, a dark and long abyss. Uh, each and every one of us, that's me too. I'm also a happy warrior like you. Uh, we got our secret dreams and we got our sacred ambitions. And, uh, and, and in, in, a, in a very heroic way, we, we put those aside sometimes in order to do those things that uh, we must do and doing them when we must do them. And that is heroic. Daydreaming is much more fun. Fantasies are much more tantalizing. But doing what we must do and doing it when we must do it lie at the heart of all achievement. And so back to the, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the sad story of uh, the, the Biden family. Uh, it's a family that uh, has had more than its fair share of tragedy. And uh, we're talking now about uh, surviving son, Hunter Robert Biden, whose wife in July 2015 uh, tells him to leave the family, to leave the house. Three grown daughters, as you can imagine, there must have been quite 
uh, a great deal of, of upset one can only imagine. And she says because he violated agreements of the marriage, what was it? Well, uh, it turns out that um, in um, August, just a month later, there were hacks of all kinds of things. But one of them was of a website called Ashley Madison, which is a place where married people who want to have affairs uh, meet up. All right. To what extent it actually does this, to what extent it merely supplies fantasies, I have absolutely no idea. To what extent it's a total ripoff, maybe, I have no idea. But um, bottom line is when that information leaked, happened to leak about a month after um, – um, a month after Hunter Robert Biden and his wife Kathleen separated, um, the what came out was that there was a uh, uh, an Ashley Madison account that had been paid for with a credit card of Robert Biden, and the email address was the email address of Hunter Robert Biden, son of the former vice president. Um, Hunter Biden, for the record, uh, insisted that it wasn't really him. Be that as it may, it would seem to me, I, I think a reasonable assumption is that, um, that when that hacked in August 15, he had been on it obviously for quite a while already. A month earlier was when his wife found out. He may have acted on it. Who knows? But bottom line is Hunter uh, and his wife separate in July 2015. Now, um, about a year earlier, in 2014, before his brother passed away, uh, Hunter was kicked out of the Navy. He was in the U.S. Naval Reserves, and he was kicked out for um, cocaine. He, 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 he failed a, a drug test, and turned out he'd been using cocaine. All right, so the, the story here then is um, cocaine and kicked out of the Navy, Navy in 2014, in 2015, uh, involvement with Ashley Madison probably kicked out of his home, certainly. And then what happens is um, turns out that he is in a relationship with his brother's widow, Hallie. And that all uh, went public, uh, started going public at the end of 2016, early 2017, Bottom line doesn't matter. Bottom line is that they were already seen um, in public uh, with uh, with their arms around one another um, in uh, late 2015. So it, it 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 wasn't that long after uh, her husband Bo dies that Hallie and Hunter become and hide him. And again, I'm not. Um, pointing fingers, I'm not judging, I'm not saying too soon. That's not what this is about at all. Um, but what I am saying is that uh, it, it seemed to happen fairly quickly, and it seems to be very intense, um, uh, and, um, and it seems to be uh, a, a formal situation, so much so that Joe Biden – and, and I, I'm intrigued by this. You know, you sort of think to yourself, what would you do in his position? He's patriarch of the family. And the news media start hounding him. Uh, they've all found out now that uh, his son, Hunter, is deeply involved with his um, – uh, with the widow of his late son. 
and um, you know, I guess you you know, no comment, respect our privacy, whatever. And maybe he did the right thing. He said uh, he made a, a very nice statement saying that um, um, uh, Dr. Jill and I give them our fullest support. We're happy that at a time of sadness and challenge, they found one another, etc. It's a perfectly, perfectly nice statement. Okay. So that then is the the story. It is you know one of those stories that that plays out and uh, and in 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 a big country like America with very well developed communication and media, uh, we find out things that a hundred years ago we certainly wouldn't have known. And you know what? In my view, I think we were better off for not knowing. I don't think that knowing the intimate details of everybody's life is, is valuable. I don't even think it's particularly valuable to know the intimate details of politicians' lives, but be that as it may. Uh, what's going on here? Well, um, Hallie uh, loses her husband, um, to whom, by all accounts, she was devoted and uh, you know, wonderful wife, everything great. And um, a little time goes by, and you know she's devastated. Uh, her husband died very quickly, and the whole thing was obviously very unexpected. And she's really plunged from um, you know a, a, a very good life to to real tragedy. And she turns to her uh, late husband's brother, and. It so happens that um, before very long, uh, they are involved. Turns out he's already had problems with his own wife, and he's already separated from his own wife, um, because his separation from his wife really takes place only two months after his brother dies. And so his wife turns to him, and um, he reacts, and it's now a reality. They are now a, a couple. Uh, there will be a divorce from Kathleen, and he will no doubt marry Hallie, and that's the way it looks like it's going. What's going on here, and why is this of interest? Okay, so let's go and uh, and again, please know this is not <laughs> this is not a, a Bible class in in any way. I think you all know that this this podcast is not a Bible class, but for me. It's not possible to separate the Bible from life. For me, the Bible is the definitive description of how the world really works. And so I, uh, I can't help but constantly seeing the parallels or seeing the source, if you like, the permanent principle underlying the contemporary behavior that I observe. And uh, I'm fascinated by it, and I, I'm, I'm hoping – look, uh, this, this whole show depends on me accurately reading your tastes and your predilections and your interests. And if I fail to do that, we're through. It's over. You will abandon me, and, and, and you are right to do that. And so uh, for that reason, I very much value input from you. By the way – uh, actually, on the SoundCloud site, if you happen to listen to the show on SoundCloud.com, um, on the SoundCloud page of my show, you can actually put in comments. And as you notice, I always respond, or nearly always respond, whenever I, I mean, it's, it's rare for me not to, because I appreciate you taking the time to let me know how you feel about the show, positive or negative. 
because uh, my object is to please you, right? Like, like any vendor, like, like any business professional, uh, my goal always is to satisfy my customers and to delight my customers. I want to go beyond satisfying my customers. I want to delight them. And so if I'm not delighting you, um, you need to tell me. One way is to tell me on the uh, uh, on the the page of on the, on the web on the podcast page on SoundCloud.com, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Uh, another way is at my website at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Uh, there's a place to contact us and send me a note, and I read them all very very carefully. Many of you have discovered that I respond, and uh, uh, and I, I take guidance very much there from what uh, well, from what you tell me so go ahead I, I give you all of that by way of saying that I know obviously that uh, many people who listen regularly are atheists many people who listen don't uh, don't take the Bible to be anything more than an interesting old book or an uninteresting old book but uh, regardless of that I, I believe I owe it to you to uh, provide an integrated picture of where I come from and uh, and where more importantly where the ideas and subjects we discuss come from. So at any rate, um, we're talking now about chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. And what happens there? Um, there's a guy called Judah, who's a very important fellow. He's the fourth son of Jacob. And uh, it's from his uh, descendants that King David comes and the whole uh, messianic future uh, derives from there. And even the term Jew is a contraction of the term Judah, and uh, and so an important guy. Anyways, <clears throat> he uh, marries somebody, and he has a son. Then he has another son, and he has another son. So he has a son called Er, he has a son called Onan, and he has a, a son called Shelah. And uh, then, like any father, has the responsibility to make sure that his sons marry and marry well. Yeah, seriously, that is a parental responsibility. And really, the last thing you want to say when your son brings home a totally unsuitable woman is, look, son, I just want you to be happy. I mean, that is a cop-out big time. Because obviously he's happy now with her, but if your experience and wisdom and knowledge of your son tells you that he won't be happy with her 10 or 15 years down the road, then maybe now's the time to talk. Now's the time to give some guidance. So um, like a good father... Judah finds a wife for Er, his firstborn son, and was she a girl? Was she a catch? Uh, she was terrific, and her name was Tamar, great woman. And uh, uh, Er, as it turns out, uh, didn't didn't merit her. And I won't, for the moment, go into the details of what happened. But he died. Um, then the next thing that happens is Judah says to the next brother, "You must now marry your brother's widow. Go ahead." Well, uh, uh, Onan does that but refuses to do the husbandly thing, and um, he dies. So then um, Judah's now really worried about, like, it's like this, this, this woman is killing off his sons, and now he's really nervous about marrying her off to um, Shelah, his third son, and so he sort of dawdles on that. Meanwhile, she says, hello, I am entitled, uh, I married into this family. That's what a woman does, right? You've noticed that, right? Uh, I still, I enjoy going off the highway if I'm going, you know, if I have a journey of, uh, you know, 100 miles or more, uh, and I can take the freeway. I always like taking a part of the road off the freeway and going on the old road, uh, which goes through towns. 
And one of the things I enjoy seeing is that um, you often find storefronts. And by the way, a lot of small towns around the country um, had Jewish merchants in them in their early days. Now, today, in many of them, there's no longer any Jewish community to speak of. But they used to. And so I, I sometimes find storefronts that still say, you know, Epstein and Son, uh, Horowitz and Son. I, I see a lot of these things still. And, uh, and they're not all Jewish, by the way. There's plenty of them. You know, you'll see Smith and Son, your sons. How often do you see a sign that says, hardware store Jones and Daughter? Hardly ever, right? Why? Because the way the world really works is we all understand that when a woman gets married, she marries into her husband's family far more assuredly than the husband marries into her family. And that's one of the reasons she takes the family name. In Western civilization, based on the Bible, she then takes the name of the family she marries into. That's understood. Um, so much so that, and this is something I mentioned, it's, uh, you'd pick up if you were sensitive to it. Uh, it's not uh, very noticeable. It's not that overt. But um, when a, a woman uh, is widowed or divorced, she does not usually sort of go back to her family, if you know what I mean. She doesn't sort of return back to her family. It's as if, you know, there are exceptions, but by and large, when a woman gets married, she kind of leaves her family. And uh, in a case of a woman, right, a woman gets married assuming she is going to raise children of that family that, who will carry her husband's name. When that doesn't happen, when that does not happen, she is bereaved in a sense. She lost her husband and she has no children of that family. And so she has a claim. She has a right to children from that family if she wishes. And uh, she then, and so this is why it is that Tamar um, in, is entitled and expects and is married to her husband's younger brother. And when he dies, she expects to be married to that. Well, when that doesn't work out, she says, well, I'm obviously not, for one reason or another, Judah has decided that I will not marry his youngest son. Fine. In that case, I'm still entitled to children of this family. All right. And let's stipulate for some of the younger men listening that there is such a thing called baby hunger. All right. And if you're a woman, you know what it is. If you are a mature man or a sensitive man, you also know what it is. If you're a man who lives with a woman, you know what it is. Uh, women, thank heavens for it, want to have children. Men do too, but by the time they realize it, it's often too late. But uh, women want to, and uh, she wants to have a child. She says, okay, if Judah's decided I'm not going to marry Shelor, who's the last brother, then it's up to Judah to give me a child. She says, well, I don't know that he'd willingly automatically do that. And so she dresses herself up. Uh, to appear as a, uh, a professional lady, a woman uh, of, um, uh, who exchanges sex for money. And, and by the way, when I say that, again, no judgment. Because if you ask me to judge a woman 
who has sex and a woman who has sex for money, I bet you have no idea who I would judge more severely, which is, which is a bigger problem. I bet you're not sure about that. I am, but that's for another topic. For now, however, uh, Judah is um, not married at the time. He's on a business trip. He meets her, and uh, he sleeps with her. And the end result is she has two children, um, and of one of those children becomes an ancestor of uh, Jesse and then of King David. As you will, if you're interested, you'll find that whole uh, genealogy in the last few verses of the book of Ruth in the Bible. So uh, this principle we find to be a reality, which is that if a woman's husband dies, her natural inclination, and in this sense the Bible describes rather than proscribes, it's not proscribing a, uh, a law that must be applied on unwilling and timid, frightened people by a vengeful, angry God. No, no, the Bible's simply describing a reality which is that if a, a woman had a close and good relationship with her husband and he passes away, she retains, in many instances, most times, a closer relationship to his family than to her own family. That's a tough thing to realize, but it's true. And, um, and so uh, the Bible acknowledges this thing, and, um, and, and sure enough, uh, let me see. Um, okay. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, verse 5. If brothers dwell together, one of them die and have a child, the wife of the dead shall not just have to marry a stranger, but uh, her husband's brother. Okay, again, without going into too many of the details, it doesn't matter for the moment. Bottom line is um, that God recognizes that uh, in these human beings that he created, there is this very strange tendency <clears throat> You know, we say strange, but it's sort of understandable if you think about it, um, of a woman to retain strong emotional feelings for the family of her late husband. You see what's happening here. And that's why I emphasized before, this wasn't about judging or poking fun at or, God forbid, mocking or anything like that. This is telling a story that, re that plays out a truth about human nature. And the human nature that was true in human beings 3,300 years ago at the time of the Bible is exactly the same human nature we have today. And I stress this because the dear uh, conceit and fatal belief of secular fundamentalism today, just a, a more accurate word for radical leftism, um, is that uh, we can change human nature, that if we try hard enough and we are determined enough and we uh, oppress people by making them use different terminology, we call it political correctness, and forcing them to start thinking in certain ways will get people to change uh, their fundamental nature. And I'll, I'll explain uh, more on that. But... Uh, but something I have discussed in an earlier podcast is the, the simple reality that um, when a very financially successful woman marries a man who is considerably less successful, it tends to suppress his ambition 
and that one of the things that drives most women completely batty is to be with a man with no ambition. And um, she uh, in, invariably, the, look, I've pointed this out in the past, it's, it's sad, and, and, and I know I have friends who are in this sort of situation and, and doing their best to hold it together. Uh, one of the ways it holds together, by the way, is if it's temporary, if there's reason to believe it's going to be changing. But if there isn't, it's a tough marriage to hold together. Wives out-earning husbands um, do not bet heavily on the uh, long-term durability of that marriage. Ah, but we're going to change things. We're going to stop men being so insecure. We're going to stop having men um, be uh, insecure about married women who earn much more than them. They've got to stop going out and seeking their masculinity by having affairs, which, by the way, happens all the time. House husbands have affairs all the time. And uh, it's only a matter of time before it happens, only a matter of time before they're highly successful and financially driven wives discover it, and the thing is over. But, uh, uh, but I, I read this all the time in, in women's magazines. We have to work on husbands, uh, on men in general, to get over this and to learn to live with a strong, independent woman. Uh, you've heard that phrase, right? Strong, independent women. They're, they're all the rage these days. doesn't work that well. Things don't change when it comes to human nature. And what we see playing out in the Biden family is something so, it's in a sense, it's beautifully natural. Or, I mean, apart from the real-life complications and, and the way Kathleen is, and her daughters are suffering. Look, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing, uh, there's, there's nothing great about divorce. But, uh, but the fact that she was drawn to her husband's brother, it's, it's an elegant playing out of exactly this principle. Now you say, Rabbi, how do you know that's what it was? I mean, who says it was that, right? Could have been something else entirely. Who says? Maybe it was something else. You know, maybe they just, maybe they always had knife reach. Well, maybe yes, but I don't think likely. Shall I tell you why? Because I'm going to give you another example of this thing. This is an example that, and again, I, I hate, no, nah, it's not true. I like being an Ayatollah I, I you so. <laughs> I love saying I told you so. If I told you so as part of ancient Jewish wisdom on the show. But uh, on this one, I was an Ayatollah you so. And this is something that had to do with 9-11. That's right. The widows of 9-11. And I'm going to tell you about that when we come back. But first of all, uh, I want to encourage you to go to the website. I want to ask you to uh, make us both smile by acquiring either for you or for, your, for a friend or for both, somebody you care about, a copy of my audio program called Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. And, and there I explain you know, why it is that in spite of the fact that uh, life would be so improved for a hundred million Arabs who live in close proximity to Israel if all they had to do was acknowledge Israel's right to exist and um, and and go ahead with with any one of the various peace programs that have been advanced for decades already. The lives of a hundred million Arabs would be dramatically improved. So why don't they do it? Well, it's not so simple. There is such a thing as um, characteristics of the Jews. They are. They're, I'm not going to call them racial characteristics because the term race 
is such a loaded term these days. But uh, is there a characteristic of Jews? Yeah. Is there a characteristic of Arabs? Sure. Does Islam have certain characteristics? Because today, what drives the Middle East is not only uh, Arabic sensibility, but just as important, perhaps even more important, Islamic sensibility, right? And so um, I lay all of that out. Um, also, uh, explaining, by the way, here's something. Are you aware that in Hamas training camps, Palestinian terror training camps, uh, they've adopted the Hitler salute, the Heil Hitler salute, you know, outstretched arm, um, fingers together, raised, straight arm, raised at about a 40-degree angle, right? That 30-degree angle approximately. Uh, that, that Hitler, famous Heil Hitler salute, now used in, the, uh, in, in Hamas training camps. Wow. Why? Well, uh, did you know that the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem uh, had connections with the Third Reich? Well, this gets very interesting indeed. That same obsessive preoccupation with Jews that was partially what ended up costing Hitler the war, uh, we find that same incredible obsession with killing Jews uh, in the Islamic world today. What's going on? What's that connection all about? I love explaining it. I think you'll love hearing about it, and I think it will help you feel you have a better grasp on how the world really works, at least when it comes to the Middle East. Um, the program is called um, The Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam, and you will find it on rabbidaniellappin.com. Go on, scoot over to the website. You've got a minute now in between um, while we wait for the next segment to, uh, to um, start. It is rabbidaniellappin.com. And while we're there, just please make sure that you subscribe to my mailing list because otherwise I have absolutely no way whatsoever of keeping you up to date with the, the latest developments in uh, life and work. Uh, rabbidaniellappin.com. Back with you in a moment. Spilling ancient solutions for modern problems in the areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, all of you happy warriors celebrating everything that is life-affirming and spurning everything that tends to suffuse life with, uh, with death, hopelessness, pessimism, and negativity. Thank you very much for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And uh, thank you also for telling folks about it and, and spreading the word. Look, uh, I obviously understand that uh, this show is, is not for everybody. I get that. Uh, one of the, the great things about the way uh, communication has disintermediated things in, in America is that uh, it is possible 
for each of us to find the kind of information that, uh, that we find beneficial or entertaining or uplifting or, or whatever motivates folks who are in search of content. So uh, it's, it's really quite wonderful that I am able to meet up with you through this venue. And uh, how long would I have to search throughout the country, uh, you know, to, to find those people who are moved and, and elevated and, and, and who enjoy what I enjoy teaching. And so I realize not for everybody, but if it is for you, then it may well also be for some of the people you get on well with. And uh, clearly, many of you have already been doing a fabulous job in passing the word around, and I deeply appreciate that because the more people that listen to the show, the better it is for me in every possible way, uh, including the fact that I am uh, more driven to uh, develop great shows and to, to bring uh, high-value information to you, just being aware that my responsibility grows exponentially as more and more people listen to the show. Okay, fine. Well, you got that. And so uh, the, the, the basic principle that I want to uh, just get out of the way quickly is the idea that uh, Bible um, describes rather than proscribes. It's something that I have explained in earlier podcasts way back, but uh, I don't mind uh, telling it to you again quickly, which is that uh, the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit is a good example of a proscriptive law, right? Um, some bureaucrat or politician somewhere scratched his head, uh, sucked his finger, held it up in the wind, and said, yeah, let's make the speed limit 55 miles an hour. Could have said 60, could have said 50, could have said 58, wouldn't have made any difference. Whatever it was, it was. It was just proscribed out of thin air. Uh, the law of gravity, on the other hand, <clears throat> is not prescribed. It's not as if Newton, in, um, in the late 17th century, stood up and said, I now declare that from this moment, Englishmen shall no longer be allowed to waft over the countryside like untethered helium balloons. No, from now on, the law will declare that Englishmen are required to have their feet firmly planted on the ground. No, that's not how it was. Newton's law of gravity just described a reality that already was. Right? You get that. Described a reality that already was. But, um, and so there are many laws that are, are proscriptive laws, many of the uh, bureaucratic and administrative regulations that a vastly increased bureaucratic state that, um, uh, that I think upset enough people who voted in Donald Trump, uh, the, the limitless regulations and vast intrusion of the government into daily life of so many Americans uh, bother them in a way, by the way, that it doesn't bother Europeans. Europeans are quite accustomed to government controlling every aspect of their lives. Um, in parts of Zurich, Switzerland, you're not allowed to flush your toilet after 10 p.m. at night. And so, yes, there are all kinds of rules and regulations. What would you say to a government that made a rule and regulation of what sort of light bulb you must put in your closet? Oh, wait, sorry, we've already had that. Yes, that's right. And, 
you know, that's a reminder. That every time you go to Home Depot or any hardware store to buy light, just remember that your free choice in light bulbs taken over by government. It didn't have to be that way. But uh, there, there it is. Governmental and bureaucratic and administrative laws are all proscriptive. Somebody got up and prescribed. But uh, biblical laws are all descriptive. And so when it speaks about a, uh, a widow marrying her late husband's brother, that is describing a real emotion that is found in a large number. I don't want to say all, I don't want to say most, but in a large number of married women, there's a greater closeness to their husband's family even than to their own family. Right? It's, it's, it's part of how God created the world. And so, um, as a result, um, it is... Um, it is not in any way difficult for me to say, why don't we take a look in the Bible to find out where might be some of the origins? Well, that's what we did. We saw that in the case of Judah, uh, we see the same thing. We see there's even in Deuteronomy, there's a thing, you know what? A woman has a right. In other words, if, 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 uh, if she's a widow, and she's particularly if she has no kids, carrying her late husband's name, she's entitled to, uh, to a repair of that situation. And so, all right. How about this one? Here, here's something quite interesting. All right, and I'm talking about the fact that uh, I've, I've finished explaining for the moment about uh, why uh, Hallie might have fallen for Hunter Robert Biden. But how about the other way? I mean, why, doesn't he say to himself, you know what, this is... Uh, this could be messy. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've been on Ashley Madison, if indeed he has. I, uh, I've, I've already split with my wife. Uh, you know, uh, th there's a lot of women out there. Why is it got to be? Why is it got to be my sister-in-law? <laughs> but it is. And again, that makes absolutely perfect sense. Um, listen to this. I was talking about... Uh, uh, various prohibited marriages. And this, this is the core of the Old Testament's uh, system of sexual regulation. Um, Leviticus chapter 20, uh, man's not allowed to, to marry his aunt, he's not allowed to marry his, uh, his daughter-in-law, and so on and so forth. Um, but here's an interesting one. And let me just read it to you in the English, and then I'll tell you something very interesting. Um, if a man sh should take his sister, whether it's a half-sister, meaning it's a stepsister because it's his father's daughter, or half-sister because it's his mother's daughter, it doesn't make any difference. Even a half-sister, he's not allowed to have sex with her. That's just not allowed to. Um, and then uh, my particular English translation says it's a disgraceful deed. I saw another translation that said it's an abominable deed, whatever, disgraceful or abominable, doesn't make any difference, because neither of them translate the word that actually is found in the original text in the Lord's language, Hebrew. Do you know what the actual word is? If you're interested, the actual word in the Hebrew is, uh, you know, again, you're not allowed to have this relationship, and uh, if, if you do, chesed hu, it's a chesed. Now, what does the word chesed mean? 
Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean abomination. doesn't mean disgrace. It actually means a loving kindness. Whoa, really? I'm afraid so. Afraid so. Uh, so um, where, where is it used for the very first time? The first time you see the word chesed used is in uh, Genesis uh, chapter, um, chapter 24, uh, verse 12. <clears throat> and, um, and here we have uh, Eliezer coming to the well, his Abraham's servant, and he says, uh, um, he prays, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray to you, send me good speed this day and show kindness to my master Abraham, namely, help me find a wife for his son. That word kindness is the word chesed. Uh, two verses later, and please, God, let it come to pass that the girl to whom I shall say, uh, give me some water that I can drink, and she responds by saying, sure, I'll give you water and I'll also give you camels. Um, she, let her be the one you've appointed to marry uh, my servant Isaac, and that's how I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Whoa, all right, kindness, what word? Chesed is the word kindness. Um, it, how about um, uh, a little bit later on? Um, uh, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, okay, chapter 24, verse 49, deal kindly. Yep, you got it, the word chesed. Um, and, and so it, gone, it goes over and over and over again. Uh, everywhere you search for, the, in the, for this word chesed in the Bible, it means kindness. It can't suddenly mean abomination <laughs> in Leviticus chapter 20. And this is where ancient Jewish wisdom comes in. By the way, I totally sympathize with the translators. Don't, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Once again, I'm not, I'm not uh, judging them or mocking them. I, I judge and mock some people, but I'm not judging and mocking the translators because I understand their predicament. How on earth, in a list, a long, long catalog of prohibited sexual relationships, how on earth can they translate one of them to read, and you absolutely are not allowed to have sex with your sister, even a half-sister, your father's daughter, your mother's daughter, absolutely not. If you do, this is a great kindness. You can't say that. And so they say, well, you know, it must mean. It might, but it doesn't. It means what it means. That's why everybody needs a rabbi. Well, I can't really say I believe that everybody needs a rabbi, but uh, hopefully enough of you need a rabbi that um, I can make a living. So uh, what, is, what does the rabbi say? Well, it's, it's very simple. Uh, obviously, this is prohibited. But the point that is being made here, remember my, uh, my point about things being, laws being descriptive, not proscriptive? What we're speaking about here is that um, there is a, a very natural tendency. Okay, now, I understand most of us are not sexually attracted to our sisters. I mean, I, I get that. But um, the fact is that there is something wonderful about marrying your sister. It's prohibited. God could hardly be clearer on that. It's absolutely prohibited, so don't even dream about it. However, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong, not with daydreaming about it. No, 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 no. But with analyzing the aspect in which it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing because your sister automatically turns to you as a brother. She always has. She's always looked up to you. She's always seen you as, as somebody special. And she also knows that uh, you probably have a very strong 
sense of uh, of your father. So particularly with even with grown up children, it's very often that that sisters have this great relationship, particularly with their older brothers, and that is enormously appealing to a man. And marrying your sister, in a sense, is is doing a, a, a kindness. Because that's what she would she would love to marry a brother, somebody who knows her, knows the whole family. She doesn't have to change her family name, no arguments about which families to go to for Thanksgiving. I mean, she'd love to, right? But it, there's obviously a big taboo about it. We don't allow it. It's incestuous. It's prohibited, out of the question. But it doesn't mean that we can't at least understand what God is trying to explain to his children by using that word kindness. Okay, look, as I said, it's not a Bible class in any way at all, but um, it is a discussion of how the world really works, and one of the ways the world really works is that here is a case, uh, possibly, of a man who was drawn to his sister. Get it? Well, actually, sister-in-law, late brother's wife, but yes, and so... Here we've got just an interesting depiction of how the Bible shows that uh, she is drawn to him as her way to remain connected with the family she married into, and he is drawn to her by her, and I'm going to say this, and remember the context. Remember just a few minutes ago, I was talking about strong and independent women. God bless you all, strong and independent women, but... Um, if you have trouble forming and maintaining relationships with men, don't say I didn't tell you. All right. Um, look, it's 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 all it's all very sad because people uh, allow ideologies, false ideologies, to shape their lives and then only discover their mistakes when it's too late. That is tragic. It's for me, it's the ultimate definition of tragedy when. A horrible, sad thing happens, and it's too late to do anything about it. And so uh, happens all the time. Women um, believe that feminism is a more accurate ideology than um, biblical faith. Right? You've got to understand what's really going on here. So uh, here we've got um, a biblical, at least from my point of view, an understanding of what happened. Now, I said earlier that some of you might well be saying, oh, come on, you're building a mountain on a molehill. You're uh, not turning one into it, but you're building. You're, turn you're building an edifice on, on no foundation. You've just got one story of the Biden family, and you make, no, not at all. Uh, the time of this podcast is limited, so I could tell you lots and lots and lots of stories, but I'm going to choose to just tell you one more because it's a very important one. I alluded to it earlier. It had to do with the 9-11 widows. And again, um, the the story was uh, originally broken um, on in the New York Times magazine, right? They put out every weekend. This was in May 2004 is when this broke. However, your rabbi knew about it before. And uh, as a matter of fact, I gave a lecture in the state of Washington uh, on this very topic about two years before that. What, what happened then, um, I discovered, and this, was, uh, this wasn't hard to discover. It's not as if I had to dig and delve, but I discovered, and it, and it was presented as a very beautiful, lovely thing. 
I discovered that the various firehouses, and you know there's a massive tradition in fire departments all around the country, but particularly in New York because it goes back so long. There have been fire departments in New York for such a long time. And uh, firemen really do see themselves as a band of brothers. They are very closely linked to other firemen. They're linked to firemen of their own ladder, particularly, as well as other uh, fire stations around the city. And we saw this, right, on 9-11. On and what I discovered uh, around about 2002 was, and it was presented very beautifully, that so close are these firemen that um, every fire station uh, that lost a man <clears throat> on that terrible morning, um, every fire station assigned, and, you know, m the hair on the back of my neck is standing up as I'm telling you this, my friends. It really is because um, I, I remember when this information um, came before me and I gave a lecture on the topic and it was just – it's when you see an accident happening in slow motion – and I saw this one happening. Every fire station that lost somebody assigned another fireman to take care of the widow. And I think you know exactly where this is going. Um, I think the New York Times story from May 2004 listed about half a dozen cases. And they, they, they spoke about the lives. They spoke about the injury. But it happened many more times than that. What happened was perfectly obvious. Uh, these firemen were assigned to help the widows. And in those first few weeks after the horrors of 9-11, uh, the outpouring of emotion for the 9-11 widows, and I'm sure you all remember if, if you were alive at that point um, or aware, uh, you all remember how, how people felt. It was, there was one funeral after another of the firemen. The firemen, so many firemen died. And there were these wives and little kids standing at the graveside of these firemen who died going up the buildings to save other people. It was heartrending. And so uh, nobody, least of all, the wives, the living wives who felt guilty, you can understand the emotion, that their husbands survived. Um, they were only too happy when their husbands were assigned to help the widows get, get through it, you know, to – to go through the, the immediate mourning and grieving process, dealing with bureaucracy. There was a lot of paperwork. There was money that was coming to them and, you know, that, and how that was all going to be dealt with. And so every widow was assigned, listen to the, my terminology, a brother of her late husband. Now, that's not me using the term brother. That's the New York Fire Department's term. That's right. And what happened? Absolutely predictable. They, these women, fell for the firemen, the brothers of their dead husbands. They fell for them big. And just as interestingly, the men fell for the women. Why? Because, my dear lady listeners, there is nothing more arousing, there is nothing more exciting, there is nothing more wonderful for a man than to have a woman who wants him and needs him. Strong and independent women, God bless you all. But um, 
these 9-11 widows were as far as you could go from strong and independent. And the men who were assigned to them did exactly what I said would happen two years earlier. I said there's going to be a rash of 9-11 divorces, a rash of them, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, because this cannot help but play out a certain way. The forces are too powerful. These are descriptive forces, not proscriptive forces. These are descriptive forces of how the world really works. It's as simple as that. And so sure enough, and, and the, uh, the, the, the woman who wrote the New York Times story, uh, Susan Dominus, uh, made the point. She's almost sounding bewildered when she says, she, you know, these women that the men divorced their wives to marry were, they were not young, sexy models. They were in the most, for the most part, same age group as their wives, right? They had children the same age as their own children. But startlingly in the article, to my astonishment, she actually says they came across as more feminine. Oh, yeah. I bet they did. That's exactly right. Got it? Um, there is, of course, so much more to discuss on this. Uh, but it'll all be in my forthcoming book about money and marriage, how the two interplay with one another. And so, my friends, we uh, arrive at the point in the podcast where I have to start recognizing that it is, yes, time to say goodbye. And uh, in conclusion, as always, I ask you to please visit my website. Won't you do that? Uh, RabbiDanielLaffin.com. And... Uh, Look around. There's, uh, there's a lot of material on the website, a lot of uh, writings. There's a lot of Susan's musings, a lot of Ask the Rabbis. Um, there's a lot of thought tools. I'd also love to have you subscribe to our mailing list, making sure that we do have an opportunity to remain in touch. And uh, finally, also take a look at an audio program that I've been talking about on this show called Clash of Destiny. Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. I don't think you're going to want to miss that. Not only will it make sense of all the headlines coming out of the Middle East, but I think it will also provide something of a sense of not only how the world really works, but how some of this might all play out uh, to bring us to a, a world of hope and a world of peace. And so, yeah, time to say goodbye. Until next week. Please um, make it a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin.